Hey everyone, it's another episode of the DLC Drop Podcast. My guest today is Dante Simpson. Dante is the CEO of eSpat TV. He has a tremendous background with brands, Gucci Group, Sony, BMG Music. I could go on and on. He's lived all around the world, and what they're doing in the eSports space is bringing premium content to our industry. He has a lot to share. Let's get into it. Drop in the untold stories of industry leaders, influencers, and insights on future innovation. I'm John Davidson, and this is the DLC, DLC Drop, Drop Podcast. Podcast. Dante Simpson, my good friend, thank you for joining us on the DLC Drop Podcast today. You and I have so many business calls probably almost every day of the week. And so I'm excited to invite our audience into some of those conversations and tell everybody what you were working so hard on and what your journey to this point has been. Yeah, John, it's a pleasure to be here with you. As you mentioned, we talk all the time. So this is going to be a very interesting conversation to uh, somebody that I speak with almost every day. So this is great. Thank you so much for uh, for sharing me with your audience, allowing me to share my story with them. And, and, and I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, John. My pleasure. So, you know, we have very similar beginnings in our careers as well. Uh, my first office job was at a tax firm, and it sounds like you got your start in accounting as well. You've done a ton of other super cool things, Gucci Group, Sony BMG Music, now obviously eSpat TV, but take us back to the accounting days. Uh, how did that start off for you? In the beginning, as they say. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I was a bean counter. I was an accounting guy, finished my school undergrad. So I, I started immediately after undergrad at, at the Ohio State University. Can't forget the the. So, uh, so absolutely, you know, coming out of college as an undergrad, I was a dual major, marketing on one side, accounting on the other, went right into corporate accounting. As I say, it's definitely not a glamour position. Uh, you know, you kind of come in, you, you don't get the uh, the spotlight on you. Uh, you work the late hours, the early mornings, nonetheless. Uh, but, you know, I, I was able to learn from that, that I was not working in my passion. I had the opportunity to work full time and then go back to school for my master's uh, at NYU. Absolutely love the folks at NYU. They're amazing. Uh, but, you know, had that opportunity to, you know, kind of pivot and transition after working years at corporate accounting uh, to decide, hey, what am I really going to do here beyond this? I'm good at it, but I'm not in love every day that I work up, wake up. And I yeah. want to wake up to love um, and passion. And, you know, I, I started to pivot. But yeah, absolutely started on the finance side, started on the accounting side. And I use a lot of those skills and talents today, yeah. uh, but definitely very far from that industry uh, as, as I'm living today. So take me uh, back. So how, how did you go from making that pivot. Okay. You've had, how many, how many years were you spending accounting, by the way? I was in accounting for four and a half years. Okay. So that's pretty significant because around yep. four and a half, five years, you, you know, people in their careers, you've done one thing, you're good at it. So to pivot to something else, uh, did that feel like starting over? Did you have to take a step back or were you able to talk to yourself into a job that was kind of parallel to that? Here's the beauty of it. I actually worked in finance at Gucci. Yep. One of the, yeah, one, one, of, one of the excellent parts of that was that they paid for my master's. So that's nice. part of why I stayed in the role a little bit longer uh, than, than I may have wanted to, but they allowed me to pivot within the company. Um, mm. And that's where my career actually started to skyrocket. 
So I worked finance at Gucci, then had the opportunity to pivot to a, once I, once I, uh, once I graduated, had the opportunity to pivot and became a biz dev guy, became a partnerships guy, became a brand guy. And that's where I found my love uh, working with everything under the Gucci umbrella. So it wasn't only the Gucci, it was the Gucci group at the time. So that's YSL, Stella McCartney, Alexander McQueen, Bottega Veneta, Sergio Rossi, all of the brands under the umbrella, which all have their own signature DNA. And yeah. it was, again, a while ago. So it was during the Tom Ford era. So it was before Tom went out on his own when he was still a part of the Gucci group, worked very closely with him. Uh, But just the opportunity to pivot within the same company where you have a understanding of the analytics and understanding of the numbers. And now you're you're using those numbers as drivers to decisions that are being made. So you take data and you use data for decision. I, I I that was my pivot. That was my shift. You know, I became, you know, I went from being the gas in the car to actually driving the car. I like driving the car much better. (laughs) It was a good time. It was a good time. That's cool. So how did you make that jump from the accounting side to the Gucci group? Was that pretty organic or did you have to make kind of a hard, hard pivot towards that? It was definitely a hard pivot. You know, there was elements of it that were organic, but it was definitely a hard pivot going from working back office to front office. And part of the beauty of it is that I had the opportunity to work in Italy. I have not retained any of it, although uh, my, my the source of my name is Italian, named after Dante Alighieri. But uh, but nonetheless, you know, had an opportunity to travel the world with the brand, had wow. an opportunity to go overseas and work. So it was a hard pivot from working in the back office of Secaucus, New Jersey, uh, to actually going to Italy and working. So and and, and working out of out of uh, North American corporate in New York. So. There was a hard pivot that was that that was that was involved. There was a transition, uh, but again, I often say that there's so much of of the educational process that you don't use in real world. I actually used so much of my master's program in mm-hmm. real world that it. I just felt like my time wasn't wasted. I, I had a true pivot that I was able to walk into and then very quickly run into, and that was the beauty of the transition for me. That's incredible. What were some of the differences culturally uh, and from a business standpoint going from New Jersey and then uh, being in Italy? Yeah, it's it, it's very interesting, you know, being, you know, 6'3", 270, 265, 270. I was, when I was in Italy, always considered, especially when I was with Tom, to be the security so it was just a running joke in the company. Like, okay, this guy's the security. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting at the table. I'm not the security, but I got it. Uh, so it was just very interesting. Uh, different culture shifts, different culture changes. Uh, but, you know, you, you start to learn and you talk to folks who travel the world and they often just tell you how their vision and vantage point of things are just expanded just tremendously through, you know, global travel. You know what I mean? Whether it's being introduced to different cultures, whether it's just learning how they operate versus how we operate. It's very, very different. We are often considered in the rat race of things. Uh, They enjoy life and it's very, very different. So just culturally, there are so many differences, but I loved it. I loved the back and forth. I was young. I was single. I was running the world like a lunatic and I absolutely loved it. And, you know, here I am back in gaming. Uh, not so young, not so single, but still, you know, being able to run the world and travel the world. So it's like, you know, life comes full circle for you. But during that time, it was absolutely amazing. 
uh, just, you know, being able to live life as a young guy living abroad was absolutely amazing. That's cool. And did you under did you already have a love for brands or did that develop as the result of working at the Gucci group? It actually developed. I did not. I had a love for sports. I had a love for entertainment. I did not even have a love for fashion. You know what I mean? I'm mm. I'm an off the rag guy. I'm not a custom guy in, in, in most cases. Uh, you know, I, I'll spend a lot for my kicks, but, you know, just for the most part, you know, high fashion wasn't my thing. The Louis Vuitton thing, the, you know, Gucci was just not my thing per se yeah. um, at the time. But I did appreciate and understand building things. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where I feel if you understand the art of building, somebody can put you into any industry and you can identify once you connect with that industry where the opportunity to build resides. I say to folks all the time, you know, they'll say to me, hey, Dante, give me a sentence. Give me two sentences. Like <clears throat> across all of, you know, the litany of industries that you've worked, you know, how would you describe yourself? And I always say, if I could put myself in another position, I'm a marriage counselor. I bring together two entities for one common purpose. That's mm. it. That's the art of the build. So once you recognize how to bring together two entities for one common purpose, that's the builder. That's the bridge uh, that 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 we definitely like to work within. And I feel like you can drop it into any under any industry once you understand the components on both sides. And once you understand that bridge or that marriage, that's where you're able to to build. And that is the key to any market any industry. I've applied that to fashion. I've applied it to music. I've, I've applied it to live event, now applying it to production and content. It's just understanding what the consumer is looking for, what the brand is looking for, and what's the bridge or the marriage to bring that to amplify both sides of the equation. That's something that it's one of those things that seems really common sense, but I feel like a lot of people don't do it. And I think one of the the biggest pieces of it and expand on this if I'm missing anything, but is simply listening, going to somebody and asking them what they need, what they're looking for, rather than starting to pitch your own thing. Is that accurate or would you add to that? You're a hundred percent correct. So many times folks come in with a preconceived notion of what's needed without understanding what's needed by all the parties. There's a happy medium <clears throat> in between that can amplify all sides. And I, I use, and, and I'm going to kind of forward to, to gaming, but I don't want to leave, you know, the, the, the fashion industry, but I'll, I'll use Twitch as an example. I think Twitch did an amazing job of staying the course of who they were. And all of a sudden the audience came to them, the, you know, the NFL, the other entities came to them. The same with fashion. Fashion was very rigid in high fashion and what that meant. And there was a day that they opened and they said, listen, we've really got to tap into culture. We've really got to tap into different elements that exist. And what you started to notice was because they were not doing it, they made room for Supreme. You know what I mean? Mm. They made room for Kith. They made room for Off-White. Now, what do you see them doing? They're hiring those very people as their creative directors today. Those oh. were transitions that were made a long time ago in the, rec in the slow recognition of we've got to identify culture. We've got to mix classic with cool. And once you're able to do that, that's going to be the future of who we are, understanding the future demographics and the future markets. And if you take a look at all of your major brands, that's high, your major high fashion brands, that's exactly what they're tapping into today. 
So the very things that we started, you know, over 15 years ago, you're seeing them executed today. And sometimes, you know, you're just ahead of the curve that way. I believe that, you know, visually we were ahead of the curve and you're starting to see now everybody play in that space. That's incredible. And so I I think that goes perfectly into eSpat and how, you know, you're a co-founder there. You definitely recognize something that needed to happen, having experience or having partners who had experience with uh, something that was already happening. Take us through the origin of eSpat and then let's talk a little eSpat TV. Absolutely. eSpat was actually, uh, there are three co-founders. It was the brainchild of my partner, Ed Brooks. So Ed is one of the creators of the NFL studio, uh, just to kind of give you a little backdrop. And it literally started with a search. He was mm-hmm. looking for an esports image and was just having the most difficult time finding it. Yep. And he's like, I'm not able to find it in my, you know, in, in, in common spaces that I look for this image. I wonder why that is. And he started to do more research and he was like, wait, they're not here. You know what I mean? I can find them on Flickr, you know what I mean? But I can't find stock images or this type of image. And, you know, he had categories that he was looking for. And he said, ding, 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 here's an opportunity. And in, you know, kind of discovering that, he's like, let me call one of the smartest guys that I know in licensed images. And he called my second partner, who's Mario Prosperino, 25-year guy that comes from Getty and Associated Press. So he worked very closely with the licensed image side of things. But he says, hey, I've got a guy who knows esports, who knows gaming, who knows marketing, who's kind of got, you know, a vision and, you know, is, is innovative in this space. Let me call Dante Simpson. That's where I got the call. It literally started in a Joe and Juice on a napkin. And that is absolutely no lie. You know, we were kind of going back and forth and we, we joke about that, but that's literally where it was started. And, you know, we, we, we started in 2018. Um, our first event, event was Overwatch, uh, you know, and, and, you know, we go to the live event and we see, you know, Khaled on the, on, on the, uh, on the stage and, you know, I'm back in my music element coming from music. I'm like, okay, I get it. And then I'm like, wow, they don't, you know, everybody loves Khaled, but I was like, there's not the overwhelming, like tearing down the rafters that I was was not a great response at the Barclays center. And and I love Khaled, but you know, that's just the reality. All of a sudden the teams come out and I see, you know, you know, everybody's going crazy. You know, Spitfire comes out and the different teams and people are going nuts. And I'm like, this is absolutely unbelievable. I'm in love. And, you know, it was in Brooklyn and it was great. And we captured those images and it was, you know, the, the first event. And we, we like to think of ourselves as a picture tells a thousand world, uh, words. We like to tell a million. You, we were created on equality and fairness for the photographer. Mm. It wasn't about the publisher. It wasn't about the tournament organizers. It was literally about the photographer. We want to give them a business model that's very fair, that's very equitable to them. So we came into this from a community perspective. It was never, you know, the big lens of corporate, you know, here's the opportunity, here's the capitalism opportunity here. That was not the model. The Mm. model was, hey, how can we build something that's very fair, that's very visible to the the photography, specifically the esports photography community? Anyone that's worked with us will tell you, you know, we paid them faster than they expected. They were like, wow, we worked with you. We usually have to wait like net 30. You guys paid us right. the same weekend. Like, this is unbelievable. We changed payment structures, payment models, the recognition of, of the talent, so on and so forth. And, you know, it, it was great. We started to meet the guys. You know, we're meeting the talent. We're meeting the team. We're working with the tournament organizers. We're meeting the brands. 
And it was great. It was absolutely wonderful. But for me and my mind, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, where's the future of this entire thing? To me, I always say content is king. Yep. The future of this is content. How do we how do we align around content? And none of us are streamers. You know what I mean? So, you know, we're not going to necessarily go create a stream on Twitch per se. Although I have one just, you know, for me personally. But, you know, none of us are, you know, we're not Shroud. We're not even right. close. <laughs> we're not even Shroud. But <laughs> so we're not his little brother Shroud. So nonetheless, it's like, you know, how do you identify what you can do and what you can become in this space. And, you know, we started to build models around that, you know, with live events going down, you know, we're working with teams and Mario has done an absolutely incredible job working with the teams. So it's, you can get content and images of the guys in their, in, in their, in their uniforms in, in, in their jerseys, excuse me. What does it look like when you get them outside of their jerseys? And right. What's the opportunity there? So Mario works very closely with that. And I pivoted on, uh, and I say pivot all the time, but I did truly pivot to, you know, the content side of the business. And, and that's where, that's where I reside is Eastbat TV with our amazing partners. So I'll, I'll kind of speak about that uh, in a bit, but that's kind of who we are. We like to think that we're premium content. Think of everything outside of YouTube gaming, YouTube TV. Think of everything outside of Twitch. We operate in that comfort space. So that's that's who eSpat TV is. I love that because I you know gaming and esports absolutely has trailblazed the way we consume content. But anytime you're innovating on a tech side, the quality content in this example is going to lag behind a little bit, right? So traditional sports has amazing premium content, 4K You've got these amazing uh, angles with the cameras and everything, but nobody's watching programmatic television or traditional television. So you have all these streamers with their webcams, right? And everybody's watching that. But now, as I think the mass audience has come over to streaming and come over more to gaming and esports, it seems like a perfect time, in my perspective, for the premium content to match the way that it's consumed. Is that how you're seeing it? Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that that's the opportunity. I mean, think about what we just saw last week, you know, the announcement, and I'll use Ben as the example, but more so the show, uh, the announcement of the show that Hector's doing, you know, yep. Ryan, Ryan Wyatt's his first stop. And it's like, look at that show of the understanding of 4K, the understanding of the stories that can be told, the stories that folks just don't know. You know, we do yeah. know that we've got a huge audience that's just coming into the space. Being able to be a storyteller and taking it outside of a every three days, every three day uh, piece of content, for example, that we know leads to burnout amongst folks and actually bringing it into a premium space uh, where you've got multi cameras, you've got multi angles, you've got the, the 4K, you know, you, you, you've got the UHD. I mean, kind of bringing that to life. To me, we've got so many stories. We've got so many opportunities to tell those stories. Uh, but also at the same time, and, and, and we do have a group that's so amazing at this under, under the Eastbat TV umbrella, you know, I take a look at immersive content, you know, yeah. and, and I used Un Unreal Engine as the example. Obviously, Sony believed in that with a $250 million, you know, minority equity stake in their brand. They are obviously making a big push towards immersive content yes. and understanding that, 
we in the gaming space are leaders in that immersive content. You know, what does the future of that look like? There's just so many opportunities that are developing right before our face that it, it becomes very interesting as to what content looks like tomorrow. I always joke around and I say, listen, I can remember the first, not I can remember, but, you know, I, I can think back to a moment where there was the first uh, Batman comic book, for example, right. or there was the first Avengers comic book. There's no way that they had in their mind Avengers Endgame. You know, they didn't think that this was coming. Uh, <laughs> no chance. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, there was a lot of transition. Stan Lee could not have been thinking that bi- that big for some of these, you know, Spider-Mans and, and, and things of that that nature. But look at where we are today. And then I think of gaming in the same light. Look at where this can be in the future around content. It's pretty amazing. Yeah, you know, when, when you and I first met, you were sharing this concept with me. I, I vividly remember one of the examples you gave was NFL films that um, a lot of popularity around the NFL really grew when you started telling the stories of the athletes, when you took the helmet off and you saw the actual person and you told the story of their, their life. And I've heard it said that like it's really hard to hate on somebody when you know someone's story because you you understand why they are the way they are. or You've seen the, the things that they've persevered through. I, I'm a big believer in growing our space. I have friends who... Uh, do you want to keep it more core? Uh, but I, I think growing it sustainably in the right way. And I think when parents better understand the ecosystem, it's, you know, their kids are more likely to have more opportunities to engage in it. Uh, you, know, you have sons and, and fathers, you know, even uh, daughters and fathers like getting together to, you know, get together to watch games and stuff. And so I'm a big believer in telling the stories of, the actual people on the stage so that when dad wants to go with his kids or mom wants to go with her kids, you know, to the tournament, there's actually something to understand versus I see a lot of flashes of light and I have no idea what's going on. (laughs) Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, that's, that's legacy. That's absolute legacy. And it's like, how do you create, you know, I I live in the tri-state market here. You know, there's a lot of New York Yankee fans and, you know, a, a youngster's parent was a New York Yankee fan and their grandparent was a New York Yankee fan. I, I, I tend to think, you know, what's going to happen when somebody takes a moment, turns that moment into a love and then passes that love down to their parent or to yeah. their child, excuse me. So I think of, you know, being able to tell the, 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 the story of, you know, Drake's commitment to hundred thieves and then the love of hundred thieves. And then the pandemic and the moment that L.A. Thieves was formed, the very first live event with L.A. Thieves where they get to connect with their fans and doing it in a live environment. That's going to be madness. And then being able to then pass those stories down to your child. Like I was there when L.A. Thieves had their first live event and, you know, this, that and the other. And the love of the stories that you hear around other sports, that's true legacy. And I think that, as you mentioned, you know, being able to tell the story. And I, and I always say that there's a delta between the people that play Call of Duty um, or League of Legends or, or any of the titles and that competitive league. That mm. delta is where the opportunity exists. What's the difference between all the people that play Call of Duty and then the folks that are interested in the competitive component of Call of Duty? Yeah. Where's that space? Because that space is the opportunity. And you don't necessarily have to love boxing in order to have you know during the mayweather era 
watched Mayweather versus Mosley 24 seven and say, I love this guy and I hate this guy, (laughs) but I'm tuning in because I want to watch this guy lose. You know what I mean? Or whatever. I mean, that's boxing was built on that. You know what I mean? WWE is built on that. They built their entire industry on that, but sports themselves. I mean, we just passed the Super Bowl, and I I know that you're going to be running this a little later, but we just passed the Super Bowl. And I mean, folks love Tom Brady. And some folks hate Tom Brady, right? But you tune in to watch him either win or lose. And that becomes an interesting growth model where folks are at least informed about the talent. Um, You don't have to, you know, you don't have to like basketball to know around the world who LeBron was. We witnessed through the unfortunate loss of Kobe, how it affected so many people. You want to make sure that folks have a sense of, you know, who who's on the outlaws, whether you know the outlaws or not, who's on envy, who's on these different teams, who's on G2 overseas. Tell me about, you know, you want to have the identification and that's beautiful when you do that. And what's interesting too, I think the, the legacy almost goes in the opposite way. It's going to be the kids teaching the parents and then they're going to be able to enjoy that together. In fact, it reminds me when I was in marketing school, one of the, uh, the commercials that we were studying was an Oreos commercial. And actually it was uh, kids were showing their parents how to dunk Oreos. Mm-hmm. And then we stub- studied the Japanese version of that, uh, that same concept and they reversed it because it's legacy is so strong in the Japanese culture that they said it would like, we would like get shouted down if we had kids showing parents. So they had then the elder showing the kid how to dunk them. But the Japanese version, that's traditional sports. And then the American version of that commercial, kids showing the parents, that's going to be what legacy is going to look like, at least this generation. And we have a lot of people who who love games who are becoming to be parents or are parents already. And so as you go in further generations, then that'll probably go more the traditional route of legacy, is my guess. Yeah, I agree. Once, once this Gen Z you know, generation grows up, it it will then pivot to, you know, they've had a lifetime of following this. They will then be passing it down. But right now it's at such an infancy stage from a market perspective that you are right. It's literally a down up, you know, introduction to the sport versus a, versus a traditional up down introduction. So interesting, very interesting, but you're absolutely correct. Yeah, question for you. I want to talk a little bit about COVID and its implication around uh, content, especially gaming, esports. It seems it's pretty intricate because it feels like gaming has really benefited due to COVID. A lot of people at home playing games. Esports, that's a little more of a complicated answer because I think the teams that were hoping for revenue uh, from the home games that were going to happen in OWL and CDL, that didn't happen but the publishers are benefiting from their games being played from a content perspective. Uh, how is content affected due to the last year? Well, I, I think that they, they say this and I, and I truly believe that this is true. What COVID revealed was if you were five years away from failure, you experienced failure during COVID. If you were five years away from amplified success you have identified that now so much faster and sooner than you would have because of COVID. I think that the eyeballs are the benefactor for the esports and gaming community. Yeah. Um, such that 
where brands were once able to say, hey, we can we can deal with that in the future. That's coming. We know it's coming. It's here now. You know what I mean? Where the music industry was able to say, oh, it's coming. We can deal with it in the future. We've got these 300 tours coming up now. No, you don't. So now you've got to recognize what this means across, you know, a, a litany of industries, even where, you know, politicians are now coming to our space because they understand the eyeballs. The right. power is in the data. The power is in the eyeballs. And folks want to be able to communicate with this coveted age bracket. So I believe that the opportunity for content actually amplified during this time. I was listening to Jeffrey, who does the esports, so the, the, what is it? The, uh, the game awards, the game awards, yep. the game awards. And he was stating his numbers and, you know, they, they were two to three times over what they were last year. Wow. You know, so what are brands receiving during this moment where by now we would have had the Grammys, you know, by the time of, of, of this date, we have not had it yet. You know what I mean? We haven't had the Oscar. These things haven't occurred, but esports just keeps on trucking. Gaming just keeps on trucking. So where the opportunity lies now for folks is, you know, Super Bowl. We just watched the commercial with with Nate Shot with with uh, with Rockstar Energy Drink. Right. You know, folks are wanting to start to pull us in to opportunities to tell stories to connect, and I just feel like that's where content is driven. Whether it's branded content, I can assure you that most brands are looking to connect right now and they're looking to take advantage of that. They're looking to align. Um, so this is where the opportunity resides around content. And you have the time to position brands such that when we do come back to the live environment, uh, that you know that they're ready to rock and roll at that time as well. So yeah. there's literally a parallel of opportunity that exists around content, specifically branded content, specifically that association as well as with the uh, the tournament organizers and the publishers as well. Yeah, I think you put that really well. Uh, on the esports side, even if in the the short term some groups did not benefit, meaning the teams, everybody everybody benefited long term from an awareness standpoint. And then so maybe it's up to those teams to then monetize and leverage that awareness that they now have for the future. As far as brands go. One thing that I'm excited about as the result of COVID is everybody's become more comfortable with digital marketing because they've been forced into it. I was talking to a lot of my agency friends uh, during the last year and they're saying, yeah, usually brands don't want to change anything. They want to do it safe, right? They want to, <clears throat> they say, hey, that's an add-on. Nah, let's, let's keep doing this thing. This has been their only option. So either they're doing it or their competitors doing it. And even better, there's case studies that are emerging. I always say it's easier to say a, sell a case study than an idea. And if you can say, hey, Pepsi, Coke's doing this, or you're going to Coke and you say, hey, we did this. This is what we learned. And also, it's it's been a long time, you know, that we've been shut down. So the brands that have had to hold their money or decided to hold their money, I mean, you got to spend that money at some point. You can't just stand on the sideline forever. And so I'm really excited to see how from a digital and an immersive standpoint, that's going to continue even when the live events start to come back as well. I agree 100%. And one of the things that we've learned and you and I, John, we talk about this all the time. <clears throat> some of these agencies and some of these brands actually don't have fully developed departments that truly understand the detail uh, needed within the space. 
You know what I mean? So right. that's where interesting opportunities exist. Not to say that they have not committed, you know, an individual or, you know, two to three individuals, but they don't have fully vetted and developed departments around this space. So they're coming and they're looking for folks. And what are you seeing now? You're seeing, you know, 100 Thieves starting to have a content arm to what they're doing. Yeah. You know, you're seeing the Misfits, who are a partner of ours, you know, starting to have a branded arm to what they do. You know, FaZe is doing the same. It's very interesting to see now these folks are, are coming out with their own, you know, high quality premium production arms to what they're doing, understanding that this is a future of where an opportunity exists. And it truly does. And 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 we welcome everyone to, to step into this space and we applaud everyone that is. Uh, but this is definitely an opportunity that, you know, the leaders of industry are identifying mm. and there's a tremendous opportunity here. And I always say, if you watch the tea leaves, you'll see what's happening and it's happening right now. Um, and it, it's a great place to be. It sure is. So talk a little bit about Eastbat TV, what you're building right now, what you're going to do as much as you can share, of course, uh, that you see coming in the near future here. Sure, sure. Let me start by kind of telling you about eSpat TV and, you know, who we are and, and, and what we do. We are a ventured collective of producers, producers in so many different spaces and across so many different landscapes. We got a lot of buzz for, for the partnership that we created with Ridley Scott and some of the things that are happening there. So we created a buzz Obviously, he's known for some of his legendary films, you know, Gladiator and American Gangster and The Martian and just dating back to 1977 uh, with Alien. So he's been going. He is one of the guys that's on the Mount Rushmore of Hollywood. One of the beautiful things is that we're bringing together an amazing piece right now uh, with some names that you all know and love. Uh, and I cannot wait to share those folks with you. Uh, but some of the biggest names. Uh, from the gaming side, as well as from the competitive side. And it's it's going to be absolutely amazing. And we are looking for global appeal around that. So there is going to be a global rollout to that. Uh, but he got a lot of attention, but we have amazing partners even beyond uh, the Ridley folks. And, and that includes uh, Petrol. A lot of folks are not familiar with Petrol, but they do all of the design and creative <coughs> Uh, behind every single Call of Duty title that you've seen with the exception of one. They wow. are absolutely amazing with their design work. They work with Overwatch. They did Assassin's Creed. I can keep going down the list, you know, Mario Kart and, you know, so on and so forth, all of that creative. So when you look at cover art, when you, when you open the title and look at all the artwork inside, when you look at billboards in Hong Kong and New York City, all of that's coming through Petrol. They're absolutely amazing with the creative work they did. I, I, I love the Cold War uh, title that they just did, but they're absolutely amazing. I have the pleasure of working with my dear friend, John Davidson and the folks over <laughs> at PRG. They are absolutely amazing. They exactly, my buddy. So what, what that means is, you know, from their perspective, they look at production a very different way. It's not necessarily about the content. It's about the technology. It's about the innovation. You know, there, there's a famous commercial uh, that I'm going to kind of steal from. They are not the content on the screens. They are the screens. You right. know what I mean, they're, they're not the shoutcaster that you hear. They're the mic that he's screaming into. Yeah. Uh, so when you think of audio, when you think of visual, when you think of technology, when you think of some of these amazing live events that you go to, whether it's E-League, whether it's, you know, 
Fortnite Worlds and, you know, these different uh, events that you go to, a lot of the folks, and, and there's a lot of folks that are behind that, but I'm sure that, you know, PRG is so proud to, you know, be a cog in that engine. As, you know, if, if any of you have been checking out the uh, Fortnite concert series, you know, that takes place on their XR stage. Yep. So they bring together, you know, mixed reality. Uh, so even during the downtime of COVID, uh, they were able to stay busy with with the work that they do. So we love our friends over at PRG. They are amazing. So we we like to say that we are the content side of things. We are the design side of things. We also have amazing technical partners. Um, yeah. And we even partnered with the largest TikTok agency in the world, Movers and Shakers. So not only can we create the content, not only are we the technology behind the content with our partners, but we even have partners that can amplify that same content across TikTok. And, you know, other teams that we work with, like Unbridled, like Zoic, who are premium producers, whether it's in in, in in-game development. If any of you guys are football fans, but you've kind of seen that robot that's on Fox Football Sundays, uh, that robot was actually created by Zoic. Uh, so, you know, any of those cool things in and out of space, they are our immersive partners. They're our in-game developers. And then Unbridled, they work with the Grammys. So when you talk about the stories that are around the Grammys, uh, they work with Pepsi. They work with 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 Ram. Uh, you know, in telling stories around the Grammys, they're coming in to to tell premium stories and kind of be the camera behind a lot of these stories. So we have some amazing folks that we work with, and we're working to tell the story. We're working to create the cinematic. We're also working to shoot the commercial. If any of you have seen the Nike ad that ran in Shanghai. We were so happy to have our team produce that. That was absolutely amazing. But, you know, to shoot the, the, the commercial and actually work with teams and integrate their talent for some of these brands into a lot of these ads, oh, that's what we are. That's eSpat TV. Think of us as all things premium content. And we're looking to amplify the community, amplify the talent, amplify the teams, and also be the lens for the tournament organizers and the publishers. And not only are you providing great premium content that's featuring players and telling those stories, but it's also a great solution for brands who are reaching, looking to reach this esports community as well. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we've had brands come to us and we're working with brands now that are looking to align and they're like, Hey, we want to align. We don't know the best folks to work with. We don't know, you know, stories that resonate. We've all seen content that has absolutely fallen flat. One of the things that we do, even from a storytelling perspective, is that we work with our team partners. You know, one of our team partners are the Misfits, Misfits Gaming. We yep. love them, Mutineers, Mayhem, Misfits. We love them, love Legan, love Justin, um, obviously led by Ben Spoon, the entire team over there, Voss and, and, and Amy. They're absolutely awesome. Uh, but being a part of storytelling around their content, but also around branded content. Yeah. being able to amplify from that position. So not only do we have storytellers on our team, but we work <clears> with teams to tell the story. So we believe that it's it, it's truly a, a, a reciprocal relationship where all of a sudden you've got teams or, or you've got talent saying, yeah, I was a part of that commercial, not only in front of the camera, but behind. Um, yeah. So it becomes very interesting. And that's kind of how we how we align with the teams in that space. I love that especially with the brands because sponsorship partnership dollars has been the number one source of revenue in esports and a lot of times these partners are having a tough time receiving an ROI from these sponsorships that creates a 
terrible outlook for the industry. Very volatile. You know, you're you're going to have to have teams re-signing uh, sponsors all the time, but you're also going to get kind of a bad reputation as an industry with non-endemics. And so I just love the way that you guys are helping brands do it in the right way so that those dollars do flow to our industry, but it's done in a way that resonates with the community that will flow dollars back to the brand so that they can receive that ROI and keep their dollars in our industry. I think that's so important. And everybody uses the word authenticity. I sometimes think that it's thrown around way too loosely, but I believe that if you're committing to tell a story and if you take the time to get the folks who, who live the story and they're truly a part of it, all of a sudden the community can say, these aren't just some stuffed suits in a back room that are trying to tell us what's going on. They really actually use talent from our space. And these folks are actually talking through those corporate budgets. And that's that's yeah. what becomes very interesting. And what we're looking to do is allow, allow the talent to become the voice in a way that they choose to, whether it's if you choose a stream, then that's great. If you're burnt out from streaming and you choose to come this route, we welcome everybody. Come and be a part of this because, you know, the brands are looking for you and they've been reaching out to us. So we're ultimately looking for you guys as well. So it, it's a great way to, uh, you know, to continue your love for the community and amplifying it. Absolutely. And the community really sees it as validation when a non-endemic comes into our space and they do it the right way. They respect the community. They provide the community with content that they want or experiences that they desire. I remember years and years ago, I was talking to a friend who's a pro gamer, and this is when Chipotle was first kind of entering the space. I was like, dude, what do you think about Chipotle? And he was like, dude, I'm so hyped. I've eaten at Chipotle my whole life, and now they want to be a part of what I'm doing? And honestly, you know, I'm a skateboarder, so I come from a culture that's even more skeptical of brands than gamers. I was a little surprised at that answer. You know, I thought it was going to be like, what does Chipotle have to be, do yeah. with gaming? No, it, if you're doing it the right way, even if it doesn't necessarily appear that you have a direct tie to the act of gaming, there's a lot of validation that this community seeks uh, that is going to be reciprocated into loyalty and eventually sales uh, for those brands as well. And they were beloved. I mean, even, you know, just by the masses, it, it was yeah. it was a successful alignment for them. You know, and, and I think that, you know, there, there's a few brands that can be the poster child of here's the way to do it. Don't rush it. Don't make a one year commitment. Don't make a two year commitment. Truly become committed, but a, a, be, yeah. become committed across the layers of the community, not just at the highest levels of, you know, the tournament. You know what I mean? Yeah. Really give a, you know, give it, give a crap about the, the, the folks, the guys and the gals that are in the community and do stuff with and for them. And, you know, not just a dollar, you know, toss to the community, but actually learn the folks and create true relationships there. And those relationships can last you far beyond any ROI that you expected. I love that. I think that's a great uh, wrap on uh, Eastbat TV and your career experience. I really appreciate that. Uh, why don't you tell our audience where they can find you, where they can continue to follow these amazing announcements and, and your amazing content that you're going to be putting out? Absolutely. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Eastbat Media. Same with, uh, same with Instagram. I mean, you can do the same with Eastbat TV, both on Twitter and IG. And you can find me directly. Uh, it's my initials, DSA underscore boss. All business, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I feel like I live there. So I'm always <laughs> on LinkedIn, ready to talk. 
Uh, but but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm always available. But you can feel free to uh, feel free to catch me on any of the above, and uh, look forward to communicating with everybody. And John, it's such a pleasure, my friend. I cannot thank you enough. My pleasure. Thank you for sharing all of this with our audience here on the DLC Drop Podcast. I got a lot out of it. I think they will too. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening to the DLC Drop Podcast. This podcast is part of the Esports Futuri Podcast Network and produced by Innovation Media Enterprises. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast channel and leave us a review. 